Hello! Hi. Hi. Uh, and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise, Praise him. him. Oh, oh, yeah. Scrum diddly umptious. That is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Me We 3027 at La Mama. This is Our Youth by Kenneth Lonigan and The Odd Couple, female version by the Essendon Theatre Company. Ah, thrill. Incredible. Excited to be Very here. Exciting. Excited to be alive. Glad you're excited. I'm glad you're excited that I'm excited. Aha! Uh-huh. Jake. Hello, James. Oh, here we are. Yeah. D- another day, mm-hmm. another week. Yeah. Another month, another year. What is this? Sundime B-side? No, it's a song, no, it's a song from um, uh, Man of the Iron Mask. I think I've actually done it on this show before. Oh, oh. <laughs> moving on. Uh, how are you? <laughs> so good. <laughs> what about yourself? Also as believably good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Both of us thriving, yeah. living and slaying. Sliving and slaying. How's your week or so been? Uh, my, don't call my week or so been. What do you think that sentence yeah, means? Sometimes we say, don't call my bean weak. Also, it's a play on a play on words. Yeah, I got it wrong as well. <laughs> so, working, of course. Uh, and uh, my sister is still in town, so we have like a big picnic for her birthday, which was nice. Um, oh, oh, here's something. Mm. So, Jake, yes, you know this about me. But some of our viewers may not. I play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Which again, people assume on first sight. Yeah, and I want them to... Yeah. I want them to think that. You want to read as a dungeon master at face value? Well, guess what? I'm about to read as a lot more of a dungeon master because who's running a D&D session for his family? It's me. Oh, I was going to guess Paul Bettany. It's not Paul Ooh, Bettany. Paul Bettany would be great in D&D. Do you think so? I think so. Well, I think any good actor would be good in D&D because that's just how it works. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paul Bettany, if you want to join my family's D&D game, reach out. Mm-hmm. Join on in. Be good. Um, there's going to be six of them. I'm sorry, so I've lost track of what's true. You are about to instigate a Dungeons and Dragons what? I'm doing like a like a one night only. Uh, go on. There were only, only one night is going to be invited. Then it's uh, just goblins and orcs beyond I that. I'm going to sing Diana Ross. Um, no. <laughs> no. One night only D&D session for my family because my sister wants to do it. My parent, mother has expressed an interest in doing it, and my other sister's boyfriend has expressed an interest in doing it, and they all thought it would be a nice thing to do, and I thought it would be a nice thing to do, so now we're going to do it. Do you play a family of gnomes in the game? Is it that type of family bonding experience? No, they're playing Lord of the Rings characters, because they like Lord of the Rings. Your whole so family likes Lord of the Rings? God, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God, it was our favourite movie growing up, Lord of the Rings was. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get around The Hobbit as well? No, that came out a little bit too late, and also I just think... They're kind of shit. Okay. Because they're a little bit too video gamey. Sure. But like, Lord of the Rings, six years of pre-production went into those movies. Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of planning to make it perfect and it shows. Like, everything came together on those movies. I could talk about those movies a lot, but I won't. And I'm oddly prepared to do so as well, because for whatever reason, I spent yesterday watching a very long video essay about the production of The Hobbit by oh. Lindsay Ellis. Yes. What did it say about the production? I know that um, Lee Pace's costume was amazing. Sure. Is Lee Pace the mean wizard? Uh, no, that's Ian McKellen. No, the other one, the mean one. With like the really like limp white hair. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's an elf, but he's not a wizard. He's the king of the elves. I Lee don't Pace. know who Lee Pace is. I'm thinking Brand of... Randwill, I... king of the elves. You think you're Radagast I'm thinking Brown? of Saruman. Christopher Lee. Yes. <laughs> R.I.P. Christopher Lee. He died? God, yes, he died. He no! was really old. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he's super dead. Sure. 
Um, but yes, no, no, the video where I say that I watched sort of like delved into a number of things, like the production side of things and also the way that it kind of decimated rights for actors in New Zealand, like oh. the, the Hobbit production. And also the way that, was it Guillermo del Toro left the project? Yes, yes. And then, yeah, then Peter Jackson sort of had to take up the mantle, otherwise it, it wouldn't happen at all because they needed the star power and competence of him totally. in order to make sure that would, the production would at least stay in New Zealand as well. I would love to see Guillermo del Toro's Hobbit. Sure, yes. I just have no patience for Guillermo del Toro's whimsy. Okay, I do. I've got lots of patience. <laughs> That's good for you. Thank you. Uh, so no, my week was good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was about to call you a poorly run hospital <laughs> because of <laughs> the level of patience that you have. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. really good. I work work at a hospital. I've never heard that joke. You fuck. Jesus yeah, Christ. <laughs> Oh god, no, okay. No to so do you want to tell me more about your orc fan family? Yeah, it's going to be great. Well, I can't say too much because I know that my parents sometimes listen to this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and you don't want to spoil the plans you have for them? No, I don't. It's going to be fun though. A lot of, lot of booby traps and uh, I don't know what else happens in Dungeons and Dragons. You can do it. One more thing. Dungeons? Nailed it! Yes! Uh, straight out of the book. You can probably name one more thing by Chris that logic. Pine. Dragons. Dragons. Okay, that's fun. <laughs> That's okay. Chris Pine as well. I could put him in there. Um, yeah, it's going to be like a like a, like a a simple one night thing. It's going to be like everyone's... I've basically said to them, because none of them have played Dungeons and Dragons before, I've basically said, pick your favourite character in Lord of the Rings and I'll make you a character based off of that. Okay. And so we've got like, Dad wants to be like Boromir. Mum wants to be like Galadriel. Kate wants to be like Gandalf. Sam doesn't want to participate, but is participating because it's a family thing and power to her. So she'll be Evangeline Lily. Who was... She was in Lost, and then she was in the Hobbit trilogy. Who was she? Oh, was she the elf? She was the one The who... redhead elf, the only other woman in that show. <laughs> she was the... She, no, I don't know what she did. Again, I'm only basing this on a video essay. I've never seen the trilogy <laughs> itself. But she, like, falls in love for, like, a... Like With a, a dwarf. I don't know if he's a dwarf. He's, like, handsome and sort of has dirty, dark hair. Yeah, that's a dwarf. Keely. Sure? Yeah, yeah. Handsome. I don't know. And they're, like, vaguely flirtatious... And there's a scene where he's like, I'm not hiding anything down my pants. And then she says, nothing down your pants. And then shuts a door. <laughs> I've only seen the video <laughs> essay. <laughs> you keep saying. Uh, she didn't exist in The Hobbit. They wrote her in. Sure. And well, apparently they had to balloon out a lot of the female roles because there were like none in The Hobbit. Oh, no. Lord of the Rings, the movie, only has like two female characters. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's bad. It's really bad. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't really know why I've ranted about Lord of the Rings. Because you're a nerd, James. Yeah, it's true. I am. Uh, so I'm feeling good about family D&D coming up. Jake, how's your week been? <laughs> I've made no effort to instigate some sort of nerd Olympics amongst my family members. Mm-hmm. And I hope that stays that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. No, what else? Uh, oh, the last few days of just like, you know, like comatose levels of depression, which I, yeah, part of which was me trying to like watch a couple of movies that I've been like long intending to watch just in order to like no longer have to like dodge conversations surrounding the media. Right. What were the movies? Um, I finally made myself watch Marriage Story and Midsummer. Is Marriage Story based off a book? I don't think so. No, it's just Noah Baumbach writing something that feels very Woody Allen-y and also isn't very well written. Right. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> he kept glad. doing this thing that like really jumped out at me as like sort of like lazy writing where he would just implant food and drink into scenes good soup as a way of the way that people Mm. disregard that piece of excellent television makes me so upset that scene where (laughs) is that a different movie that's that's girls oh I thought that was just because it's got Adam Driver so I just thought it was that's one of the best episodes of girls I don't care 
Ah, oh. move on. <clears throat> no, 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 go to your original sure. story. Oh, just the one of the things that I think is weak about Marriage Story is the way that he has just inserted like food and drink into scenes in order to seemingly like I don't know. It seems like it's intended to function as it so often does in dramas as like a moment of like levity or something like how funny is it that Scarlett Johansson is upset and also eating a cookie or like um, how impressive is it that they're doing this like highly emotional scene or a midway through this I don't know intended to be perceived as impressive monologue but they also have to contend with the fact of them also referring to a pie like I just <laughs> it just is clumsy I think yeah, it sounds and it. a bit amateurish and strange that it occurs in like I'd say most of the scenes Someone is either like holding a pie or <laughs> drinking coffee or remarking upon the quality of the coffee or, I don't know, Weird. eating shortbread. It's strange. It's great to see Laura Dern be great, but beyond that, it was just kind of like a disappointing piece of drama. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, and then Midsummer was fine. I enjoyed the world of the cult that we went to. I didn't mm. necessarily enjoy what they really did with the narrative of the characters once they got there. Mm. But I don't know, it was a fun cult to be a part of. It sounds like a fun movie. I'll never watch it because I don't like scary films. You don't? <laughs> Wait, and you, you're too sensitive to all types of scary? Oh, look, I, I watch some scary films, mm-hmm. but, but not voluntarily and never my choice. Okay. If someone else wants to watch it and I'm there with them, I might watch one. Okay. And I've watched some scary TV shows, but for some reason, scary movies, like the really scary ones, I just can't do it. Sure. That was, what's that director's name? Ari... No. Ari Aster. Ari Aster. Was that Ari Aster? Yeah. He knows how to get under people's skin. I can't do it. Sure. I can't do it. I really liked the, like, the terrifying yeah. opening sequence. I thought that was a standout moment. It's of the opening movie. sequence of Midsummer. I'm not going to ruin the opening sequence of Midsummer for people, but I think that was a real standout moment that I think I'll, beyond anything else in that movie, I will think of... The opening more so than much else that occurs. That's what people say about me. And I just enjoy Florence Pugh's, like, intense frowny face. <laughs> yeah, I noticed she seems to do a lot of frowning in that movie. Love it. Is she always upset? Um, I think there's a way that her face expresses particular emotions. And I think it's, it's a solemnness that I, I'm into. And I just enjoy watching her do things. Partly because every time I see her do anything, it will also make me think about Little Women. And it's all I want to think about. All I <clears throat> want to think about. How little were the women? <laughs> Are you... No. <laughs> what? Whatever you were about to say. <laughs> because isn't there like a TLC program that is called Little Women and it's about dwarf women living their lives in like suburban Los oh, Angeles? Yeah. God, they really... Yeah, they really just make TV, don't they? Who does? Just, it seems like there's a reality... Did you see there's a reality TV show that I do want to watch? Mm. Villains or House of Villains. Okay. And it's like... The villain character from all these different reality TV shows, mm. seasons, mm. and they've just taken all the villains and put them in one show, mm. and they want to find out which one is the most, like, cunty, or which one's, like, the most villainy. And it looks pretty funny. Is it hosted by Omarosa? I have no idea who it's hosted by, Jake. You know I don't know who Omarosa is. You know, it could be. That could be Omarosa. He, she, or they could be the host, but I have no idea who that is. And is there a winner? I don't know, Jake. I haven't watched it. <laughs> Stop why asking you, me questions about anything I've brought up. How dare you? Let me say stuff and not be questioned. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you rate your week? Um, I'm going to give it uh, nine stars because that's how many years old I think Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's like Hansen's not that irritating son was. In uh, in Marriage Story, which another it was just another disappointing depiction of the theatrical experience, like the theater making experience. I'm just sick of like filmmakers telling stories that have theater in them, and the depiction of theater in them is so like I don't know, upsettingly diluted and stupid. I don't oh, know. Oh, is it like about theater as well? Adam Driver is a director, and Scarlett Johansson is an actor that is in Ugh. the works that he directs. 
And it's like, if you're going to tell a story, I've said it before, <laughs> if you're going to tell a story about theatre or featuring theatre, at least do it because you understand and want to like explore the essence of what the theatre making process mm. is like. You know, when it feels clomped on by a filmmaker, it just very quickly gets, you know, unsatisfying. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. No? No. Well, I don't watch started. movies. You don't watch movies. <laughs> but yeah, no, if you get me started, I can give you some some good examples. I don't want to get you started. I know, that's the no, thing, no. but if you do, I'm ready to go. I'm not going to, so don't worry. Anyone out there, you, no. pull, you pull that pin. Wait, put that I'll down. Put that down. <laughs> um, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rate your week? I would rate my week. 34.7. Yeah? Yep. For a reason? Or you nope. just for some reason think that's a good number at the I moment? I do, yeah, that's it. That's good. Not everything needs to have a reason, and I think we need to start accepting that about life. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm excited for your data as to take on purpose and meaning. Let's continue. <laughs> Want to talk about some theatre? Uh, yeah, I would love to, Jake, actually. Hey, James. <laughs> Hello, Jake. Hi, I went to La Mama. The courthouse one? The courthouse, the more, the, the brick one. The one that's made out of bricks. I guess the other one is a little bit more woody, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess they're both actually made out of bricks. They are. They are. Are you confused by the facade of the HQ? I'm confused by the facade. Confused by the, the facade HQ. of the HQ. Once again. Once again. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> idiocy aside, I went to the courthouse. I went with Conk. You're familiar with him. I know Conk. Yes. No. Yeah. We went to see. He is bald. Mm. <laughs> One time after I shaved my head, I was walking down the street, and a tipsy teenager looked at me and said, "You're bald." And I was so mad. <laughs> Why were you mad? They were just pointing out a fact. But it's like, I don't know. It felt, I don't know, there was something like hostile and judgmental in her voice where I was like, you're a child. I'm going to stab you to death. I choose that. <laughs> Why Why do people feel the need to point out baldness? Are you, are you are you naturally balding? Do you think you're balding? I'm genetically supposed to be bald soonish, I think. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Dad keeps saying I'm going to get bald, but I don't believe him. Oh, that's good. Mm. <laughs> Mine so, never matter. Well, whatever happens, be ready for teenagers to attack you in the street with their vicious, vicious, judgmental words. I'm always ready for that. Well, no, I'm never ready for it, but I know it's going to happen. Because you also, do you walk by... And it's because of homophobia for me. Do you walk by like youthy high school people and assume that they are just gonna like tear you to pieces? I am terrified of every youth I see. Yeah. Oh god. Even yes. if they're like walking alone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like I know that one I could probably take on in a fight. Mm. But like, if it's any more, I'm like I first of all couldn't take the mental uh, pressure of the attacks that they would <laughs> unleash upon me. Sure. Uh, and and there's two of them. I know what I'm going to do. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm scared of them at I think all times. I'm cockily prepared to handle it physically. Well, you're an ogre. Thank you. You're a... You're, I've taken on townspeople for years. For people that don't know, J Jake is a immensely tall person. Like, you're... You are! You're a very tall person, and I think you could really hold your own in a... But fight. I'm not circus tall. No, but you're also, like, broad-shouldered and built. Like, sure. you could really just throw some people around, no problem. Okay. Like, every time you hug people, they comment on... That nearly broke my spine. Yes, and I keep trying to be better at hugs. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe start by not breaking people's spines. You don't think that's where I started in my effort to improve? Anyway, <laughs> I, went, I went to the Lamana Courthouse. Right, yes. right, right. <laughs> With Conk, and I was seeing Miwi 3027, a cool. title which baffled me, but I soldiered through it. I bravely thought, I'll understand this Miwi title. Miwi 3027. Yes. Is it like set in the year 3023? 3027, I guess you'd say? That is what you would say. No, it is not sent, <laughs> set in the future. That's my only guess, so I'm, I'm the dark now. Um, quack, quack. Oh! oh! I'm in you. <laughs> so I'm going to, because this is a historical piece based on like 
facts and information and history. Oh, cool. I'm going to read briefly from the actual notes in the program yeah, so that I don't missay things. <laughs> um, so the play itself is inspired by the life of Roland Carter, the first Nangajiri man to join the Australian Imperial Forces during World War One, and his lifelong friendship with Leonard Adam, a Jewish-German ethnologist. Oh my god. Yeah, and so Leonard, so they're real people, of course, during World War One, and Leonard is working in the Half Moon prison camp in during World War One, and then, as was explained, I'm going to jump around in terms of my experience of this show. What was bliss, blissful about it is there was also like a Q and A afterwards. And oh I was my like, god, great! Fuck, I love a Q and A. So it was yeah, go on. What? No, I was just going to be. So it's me, we Q A, because it's like me, we Q A. If you think of so it's like three <laughs> two-letter words, my brain is not online. You're just having a bit of an like an I'm alphabet a goofy time over here. Yeah, that's good. Q and A afterwards. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, which I forget why I brought it up because you interrupted me with your. You nonsense. were excited about that. <laughs> of course, Q and A. Super excited for a Q and A. But yes, um, yeah. Oh, as I learned in that Q and A, um, the reason that Roland offered forth his wisdom to Leonard in the first place was he wanted to ensure that Leonard had all the information that he wanted to glean from him about his culture and. His his community, oh. which was like a very sweet and generous thing to do, yeah, in or out of wartime, <laughs> <laughs> but also especially in. I think. Um, yeah, so the the play itself opens up with the two actors playing these characters reading from letters that the two men had sent to each other. Um, do you know if these like the real real letters? the real letters? Oh the real, wow! Yeah, okay, no, cool. there was so much research that went into this this show because even right. like as part of the Q and A, Andrea Barker was there as the researcher for the production. Like the show itself has had such a history already. Like mm. over the last like a few years or so, like they've toured it, like they premiered it, like inside of one of the communities that was represented. Like there was so much consultation done with like indigenous elders and the people represented in the work and the mm. actors that played the people in like even developments and stuff all had to be sort of like okayed by the communities that were being represented. Wow. You know, it was so wonderful. And just like to hear the creatives talking at the, during the Q&A afterwards, like there was so much like, it was exciting to hear people having so much respect and reverence and really sort of like, I don't know, having this beautiful comprehension of the significance of the piece and mm. and the people that had devoted their time and their effort and their talent and their, their voices and their history to this piece. Oh it was God. really incredible. Like it was so, I was so grateful to hear what everyone had to say afterwards. Mm. Um, but the show itself, yeah. So it was like the three of them in the piece. And so it was like Sid Brisbane and Glenn Shea were playing Roland and Leonard respectively. And then Lucy Payne as well. Uh, and yeah, it seemed, it, it, you know, functionally out. It's like once the letters were done getting spoken through, then it kind of became, it was largely just like the two men in the room speaking to each other. Mm. And then Lucy would come in intermittently playing a nurse that was assisting the ethnologist throughout the conversation that was being had. And it just sort of like walked us through time. And we just got to learn things about about Roland's culture and his life experience. And they just sort of became pals. I'm going to cut across you there. Go I, ahead. I obviously know, but for people who might not know what an ethnologist is, mm. could you explain that? Um, well, a person that explores a, the, 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 I guess the experience of people within an ethnic group yeah, and right. the, the behaviours of that ethnic group in itself. Yeah, well, thanks, yeah. Jake. I, um, I, again, did know that. But, you know, the people listening might not. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and apparently Leonard as well, he did a lot of research, and they, there are people currently actively today sorting through the recordings of the conversations that he had with all of the people that he had these conversations with. Like there are just with. so many that people are still sorting through them. Yes, and they're still waiting for... They're still waiting to hopefully find the recordings of his conversations with Roland. Oh, wow. You know? And, like, it's a thing that people are currently today doing, sorting through these conversations. Oh, my God. Fun. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, super beautiful and mm. really exciting to learn about. Um, and additionally, like, a beautiful component was the fact of, like, Sid Brisbane himself having a tie genetically to the man being presented as well. Like, there's, oh. there's a connection in their family tree, like, binding them as well. Like, there's so much... Again, part of why I was so grateful for the Q&A afterwards was getting to see, like, how much work and rigour and passion and history has gone into into this story. Yeah, wow. So that it sounds really like an amazing cool. little package. Yeah. <laughs> Such a neat package. There was, like... <laughs> There was one element of the history that was like present in the work in an, in an image sort of fashion and then explained later in the Q&A as well was he would, uh, so like Sid's character Roland would come to the front of the stage and sort of like speak in his like this, his stunning sort of like stunning voice mm. um, saying these these words in, in the language of the Narendiri people and sort of almost be like summoning the warriors of his, mm. of his mob to him and it mm. would be met too with like there were like projections on that large rear wall in the courthouse mm. that was showing like like uh, like a what would you even call it like a like a forest scape almost like of the Australian sort of woods wow and that with every time that he would do this and would always be interrupted by the entrance of Lucy's character um but there would be more and more of these shields appearing in in the in the forest scape and as i sort of learned towards the end they were shields of the warriors of that group and he was like conjuring them to the strengthen his resolve in the wow. bizarre kind of like war ravaged situation that he was in. Wow. You know, like there was yeah again there was just like so much richness and depth and history and beauty in all of the stagecraft present in this. Yeah, it sounds quite place. affecting. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Am I not allowed to say affecting? No, say affecting all you want. Thank you. Um. Ooh, and so a reason the the, the Narendra shields stuck with me was they did this thing when they were like going into battle where they would spin the shields around so quickly that it would be disorientating for the people coming towards them. When you say they, do you mean like this was historically what they would do? With yeah. The oh, okay. Right, right. Would, I thought they, they would, would give the show they were doing this. Oh, no. So, no, 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 no. no. This is a, another like nugget historical of fascinating fact. historical fact from right. Q&A. It was like they would go in with these like yellow coloured shields and they would spin them in a way that would become disorientating for the people that were trying to attack them mm. and would like give them like seasickness and overwhelm them and make it seem like there were more of them than there were. Oh my God, great. Um, oh, Lucy and Glenn both had to learn German for the role. Oh, they had a bunch of German words they had to say and a bunch of them that were, like, were, that they were surtitled a lot of the time. <laughs> what, what, what? Which I just thought was elegant. Were they German people? I guess the characters were German then. Yeah. <laughs> Piecing it together. Put yes. that one together in my head. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Learning a language, learning... Enough of the language to convincingly say the German words they have to say. Yeah, I can't even speak English right now. Um, I want to get briefly wrapped up in some fascinating stuff that Lucy did on stage and in the Q&A afterwards in terms of her characterization. Because okay, in go the on, first... get wrapped up. <laughs> so the, the play itself largely takes place during World War One, and then there's like a little like, quite a, like a striking scary jump ahead into World War Two. Ooh. What do you mean, ew? Striking scary. <laughs> did you not know there was a second one? <laughs> what was scary about it? Like, uh, uh, not the war. I know the war was scary, but the transition. Um, it was scary because um, we sort of like, we had this moment where Lucy's nurse character during the World War One component, which took up, I'd say like 70% of the play, mm -hmm. at least was, yeah, during World War One, And then Lucy gets the news, like Lucy's character, the nurse, gets the news that the war is over. And so it's like, oh, that's good. But then she leaves. And then we get this like, 
the sound of like marching <laughs> and oh. all these scary like war sounds and they just left us in the dark for the most part quack quack, quack, quack. for those that mo- it's like oh god I'm really scared of war which is not a groundbreaking thing to say no but like when you're confronted by like that in the dark yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't know there was just, that was very like oh god what's going on now and then yeah and then we like jump forward in time through like like elegant sur titles and then we're in World War 2 oh my god <laughs> yes <laughs> I did um, know there was a second one though. yeah 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 um, but yes, yeah. So then we flop forward, and then where we end up being is Leonard is then a prisoner of war in the Second World War. Oh. And so his role is very much being turned on its head. And Leonard's the ethnologist. I yes, just need to get the name. Is the ethnologist, yeah. and then Lucy playing. I think the same character, but it doesn't necessarily matter. What we largely oh, sure. get to experience is like Lucy then coming in playing this this like Nazi officer person. Quite horrendous, like horrendous in terms of like her behavior. Wait, she, how can she be the same character? Um, well, there's not that much time between the two wars. She might have grown up. <laughs> oh, I guess so. Yeah, like Leonard is in both wars. I forgot that the first one was German. Yeah, I forgot that they were both German characters. Sure, and they are world wars. Yes. So there was a lot of collaboration in terms of involvement. Yes, I understand. Thank you, Jake. Yes, <laughs> I actually I just, in my head had cast her as like a British lady. Oh sure. So I was like, why would she be there? But then I realised I just made that fact up. Yeah, because remember how Lucy was speaking German yes. a lot. Yes, 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 I do. <laughs> Did you know that I actually tutor children in history very smugly and condescendingly yeah. on the weekends? It goes down really well. <laughs> well, you idiot, <laughs> find Europe on this globe, stupid. Like the rudest Mary Poppins you've ever seen. <laughs> Mary Poppins was pretty rude. I mean, she was curt. She was curt. She was very curt. No, that was the gay son in The Sound of Music. Shut up. Shut up, Jake. (laughs) Shut up, Jake, with your good jokes. I'm not on the same level today with those good jokes. (laughs) Um, But yes, no, so comes in and plays this, like, like the nurse that she was playing, she herself was, like, hard-edged and scary. But when she comes in as the Nazi in the World War II portion of this play, truly horrifying. Oh, God. Like, really, really, like... Like confrontingly horrific, like watching her, which is, and this this component of the Second World War is not a thing that I've ever experienced in media for whatever reason. And I guess it's a, a very like small version of one of the you know countless atrocities they com- like committed. But it's this like small little version of that where he like Leonard was listing off the qualifications that he has as all the like the the, the different like yeah the qualifications he's got, the experiences that he's had. Um, yeah, I don't know, just like yeah, all of the like like degrees and. Mm. Things that he's earned throughout his career of being an ethnologist and all the other things that he's done. And he would list them and she would just like take them from him. Like she could just announce the fact that like these things were no longer acknowledged. His qualifications meant nothing anymore. And he was just like being stripped of all these things that made him the person that he was. Oh, that's horrible. And watching it happen was just, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just like a special type of dehumanizing horror. It was really awful. Um, But but (laughs) all that is to say, (laughs) with Lucy's performance... With the two of them in this scene, both of them, oh my god, devastating. But it was like especially like, <laughs> I don't know, to, to, to see Lucy play such a horrific character. And then it was so beautiful to get to see her then talk so like eloquently about what? So that you knew that she wasn't really a Nazi. I was pretty sure she wasn't a Nazi <laughs> okay. going in, but I was like, you never know. You never know? <laughs> you never so know? That's what I asked at the Q&A. <laughs> no. <Excuse me. laughs> First off, there's no world where I ever ask anything at a Q&A. Yeah. I'm just, I just, 
<laughs> I just yeah. enjoy them. That's I, pretty true. That's true. Yeah. So did what? what? Um, but yeah, but, you, but Lucy said some really like wonderful. What's wrong? Are you about to ask no, that question? No, no, go on. No, no I was going to say. I, I, I was going to pivot into a different conversation, but you've got more to say about Lucy. Oh, just one of the wonderful things. Like the, the, again, this group of creatives that were so generous to give this time to this Q and A afterwards that I took so much from, even just personally. Um, yeah, but one of the things Lucy brought up was talking about her experience of trying to get into the mindset of that type of character. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, it just sounds like it, w- it was a really like cool interesting journey for her and she just like nailed it so hard like it was mm. just the, the the brash evil that she was capable of bringing and it was even the thing too of like which is a credit to the writing and to the and to the performance and everyone else's everything's but um at the beginning when we first sort of meet, meet lucy's nurse character who's this very sort of like hard but passionate woman who wants to be a nurse like her mother and has all these dreams of having a like a career that she really is proud of and enjoys and lucy spoke of this thing of like you don't want to come at the character from a judgmental place or from a place of like, I'm just going to play evil nuts. Yeah. Like even dramatically speaking, you need to see the humanity first in order for even the audience to go on any type of impact, like empathic journey with this person. Mm. You know, you can't just see evil Nazi. We see a woman who wants to be a nurse and honor her mother and, you know, has this type of drive that then whether or not it's the same character in the second half or not, it's like, you still have this understanding of like, no, there's humanity inside of all of these people. Yeah. And, and yeah, just to keep dwelling on the, the interesting stuff that Lucy said, it's like, as I've never thought of framing the jump from World War One, World War Two Germany coming from a thing of like, Germany getting so shamed by their participation in World War One and being part of what contributed to the birth of the Nazi movement in World War Two, being yeah. one of like, what happens when you shame a culture and then where they go with that national pride. And that contributing to World War Two so thoroughly, yeah, it's like scary. I never heard it said that way before. Isn't it scary? Horrible. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's that's the rise of the far right. That's the rise of the far that's right. That's what that is. <laughs> that's how it happens. Um, but yeah, that was that. But yeah, it was it was a story that I'm so grateful to now, like have in my head and have in my heart, and to have experienced. Oh, I want to say too. Oh, <laughs> stage properly. Oh my god. And this. <laughs> Maybe this is stupid, but there was it's this once again a moment where I wish you could see Jake's arms. They are just <laughs> flailing. Um, to like at, at, at like sort of the very end of the piece, the, the stage is empty, and this smoke machine starts going off, and it felt like the smoke had been choreographed. It Ooh. was beautiful because we're hearing this indigenous tale over the speakers, and we're hearing this this story. Um, that just sort of like rounds out the entire play. And as it happens, this smoke is billowing in. And I'm sitting in the front row because, you know, I don't want to miss anything. Of course you are. And this smoke is coming in. And it's this story that's that's got a bit of like mortality and magic and a, a lot to do with like the indigenous people's tie to the land, as, as a lot of the play is about. And... But the, and smoke starts collecting at our feet and it sort of engulfs the entire stage. Mm. And it's almost as if it's... I don't know, it feels like it's this like short, foggy cloud... And just feeling it, like, tickle up my legs and just feeling, like, <laughs> somehow, like, the, it, I don't know, this, it was, like, such a, like, just a stunning, like, design decision to have made of it really makes you feel like there's this mysticism in the space. Yeah. And it felt like it was sort of, like, beckoning you into this this world of, like, magic and story and sharing this energy with the work. It was oh just, like, it was true, like, really magical and stunning as like a like a stage moment and a storytelling moment it was and truly it was as if they had somehow choreographed it was like making these beautiful shapes and just out of nowhere kind of like i don't know it would like have height and then Mm. depth and then i don't know then it would have these moments of like pockety vacuum and it was just like wow what's going it was truly just mystical 
It was really something else. It was yeah, a, it sounds a, fantastic. One of the many things that like about this show that will stick with me. Oh, um, gorgeous. On top of just like the I don't know the significance of the story, um, and and the performance of these actors and the writing and everyone that was involved. Because again, this this show and this production has already got such a beautiful, significant history to it, and it will doubtlessly have one for I don't know to come for quite some time. I imagine and hope. Mm. Um, but yeah, just very, very grateful to have gotten to experience it. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of really talented, interesting, passionate people put this thing together. Um, yeah, and I hope a lot of people get to experience what it is. Hi, James. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Um, I went to Club Voltaire the other day. You love Club Voltaire. I do love Club Voltaire. Yeah. Yeah. Look, guilty. <laughs> As judge. <laughs> Put him to death. Lock me up. No. <laughs> <laughs> death penalty. Gavel, gavel. Um, went to Club Voltaire um, because the, <laughs> the, 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 a group of people were doing This Is Our Youth by Kenneth Lonigan. Okay. Now, This Is Our Youth is a show that I've heard bandied about before. People do love to bandy it. Mm. Yes. I was curious to see it because I don't know if you listened to the episode where it was me talking to Stelios Iannides. I listened to some of it. You listened to some of but it. I hate Stelios so much. That makes sense. Yeah. He is, he's a polarizing figure. Yes. Um, but yes, I, do, I don't hate you, Stelios. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Stop using this podcast to talk directly to Stelios. No. Stelios Iannides said that this is one of the plays that he likes most of all the plays and is a play that he would be excited to do. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, I've not experienced this play before. And then, fortunately, I was truly just like looking around for this is our youth to understand what this was because I like understanding my chums. And I was like, oh my god, there's a production coming up. Like, now. Oh, my <laughs> so God. It was, it was very much, you know, Dionysus being like, you know what, here you go, Jake. Well, that's what happens when you praise him. That's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so a very fortuitous production of This Is Our Youth happening at Club Voltaire. Um, I attended. I walked in. <laughs> I met a man named Sam. I'm sorry, wait, it's... <laughs> Do you mean? Do you mean? Is it a Sam that I know? No. Or is it just okay? So you met a man. I went inside, and as I do, I failed at being a person socially. So I walked inside to the like the, the foyer part, like the, the the bit where the bar is at Club Voltaire. Okay. I walked into the room, saw a room of people, stood still, and was like, "Hello." <laughs> That's not how you enter a room. You just James. said hello to a group of people. <laughs> it felt like I don't know. Like I, yeah, it felt like I'd intruded. <laughs> so I felt the need to acknowledge it. Um, but yes, no. Then I went to the bathroom due to anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> then just came back down and did the same thing again. I stood at the base of the stairs and just looked at this room of people. Then locked eyes with this handsome man named Sam, and then I got talking to him. He had seen the show three times and was coming a fourth. Which I just bring up because I think that's one of no, the... No, I think it's a, that's a glowing praise for the show. Well, yeah, no, because one of the things that he explained beyond his just, like, interesting life was also like, oh, my pal is in this show and I'm here to be supportive. Seeing wow. a show that your friend is in... Four times? Four times, maybe more. What? I just wanted to bring that's that up. really Because I thought it was sweet and lovely friendship. Good on you, Sam. <laughs> um, anyways, he's, we, we, I went inside, sat in the front row, <laughs> to the side because I'm tall. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, then the, I, I want to bring up the sort of like introduction, welcome to country speaker voice that happened. Okay. Because for the first time, and I've never heard this before, they brought up the fact of the show contains confronting language and themes, and that the things said by the characters don't necessarily represent the opinions or beliefs oh. of the people involved in the show. Oh! No, was, I've, I've never heard that for a live show either. No, yeah. Which I just thought was like an interesting thing. 
That's interesting. Okay. Do you have do any we, immediate thoughts about that? Do you think it would, would have been the company or Club yeah, Voltaire? And I, yeah, and maybe, maybe it was a concern of one or more of the creatives involved that they didn't yeah. want to necessarily align themselves with some of the... Because it is like a period piece. Like, it, I believe it's like the 90s, I think, is when it's like taking place. So there is a bit of like... Some like offensive terms for minority groups thrown around a little bit. Okay, sure. In that case, I can understand it. But otherwise, I would say, we're at a show. <laughs> like, I'm not here to watch people just live their regular lives. <laughs> sure. But I guess, too, it's like maybe it's a thing of like... I, I, I think I... I no, I, I guess I do understand the fear of like an audience misunderstanding you. And then sure. incorrectly sure. assuming things about you as a person. But I suppose to... I guess I come at these sorts of things as an artist from the belief of, like, I'm prepared to be misunderstood. And mm. I think that's kind of like an inbuilt element of what's courageous about artistry. Well, I was going to say, I wonder if there's there's a part of me that, that my reaction to hearing that is almost like, oh, okay. Because it sort of feels a little bit like, oh, I don't want you to think that I mean this. And obviously, you we know you don't mean it with, like, the intense, horrible words. But, like, there's a little part of me that's like, have faith in your audience to know that you're not... The person you're playing on stage sure is where my brain goes and i totally understand why you put it in there fair enough but i, I think my initial gut reaction is oh i think the only things that should be before the show is the welcome to country and turn your phone off i think if you add more things it just starts getting a little bit like ads before a movie in terms of length <laughs> in terms of length in terms of like I don't know. I don't know if I like it, but I respect it, and I understand why you might want to put it in there. Sure. Okay. What do you think about it? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess all the things I said, I think... <laughs> but I guess... I don't listen to you because you bore me. No, again, yeah, no, I get it, and I respect... Yeah, I definitely get it, you know? Like, I, I, can, totally. I can see that concern, but I guess, too, it comes down to, I don't know, the, the point of staging a work, I guess, as well. Yeah. Um, I guess stage a work that you can comfortably stand by. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's part of what my gut reaction is. I guess. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Especially when it's going to become, like, a, a trend of people doing that type of thing. Mm. But, yeah, interesting to insert that level of distance between yeah. artist and art in that type of... I don't know, what feels like almost like a self-conscious way. I'm not sure. I just, yeah, I wanted to bring it up because it was interesting. No, that is interesting. Um, I, I've never heard of that before and I'm curious to hear if it happens again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so also going into this knowing that this play is for some reason quite popular amongst particular types of people Ooh. and also going in knowing that Stelios loves it so much. Um, that was part of what I was like coming to the piece with of mm -hmm. like, okay, there's something in this or maybe hopefully a number of things in this mm -hmm. that is resonating with this band of people. Yeah, And okay. I'm excited to get to know. Because even having like, yeah, now seen it and then told people that I saw it, it's really interesting the reactions that people have. Like the people that are like, oh my God, I love that play. Or those people being like, I'm sick of that play. Or those people being like, what's that play? <laughs> I'm the third one. Yeah, so it's yeah interesting that the people that have had, I don't know, strong reactions that, I don't know, is uncommon generally when you bring up the name of a, like a contemporary play. Yeah, tell me about this play. I want to know about this play. The plot is, so it's like this drug-fucked grumpy guy <laughs> played by Jesse Donaldson Jarrett living in New York in, I believe, the 90s. He's early 20s and then his friend rocks up on his doorstep played by Kieran Gregory mm -hmm. and Kieran is like... A loser. Kieran is like a fool. He's always been like a follower. He's always been like a bit of a dweeb who considers Jesse's character to be like 
a cool guy that he's always considered to be like a leader and an idol and someone that he thinks is very like cool and popular. Much like you're in my dynamic where I'm the cool one. You're the cool I had one. To specify, yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can <laughs> write that piece of fan fiction over there if you like. Thank you so much. Oh, and Jesse Donaldson Jarrett was in that production of Neil LaBute's The Way We Get By. If you remember sure. me talking about that. May have been a long time ago. The one that was like the guy and the girl and they just had sex and then they woke up and then had a long conversation about how they were like actually, I think, related. <laughs> oh, but you were confused at La Mama. No, that was Traps. I was thinking of Traps. <laughs> I always go back to Traps. Yeah, no, that's when they got obsessed with Scott Middleton and then they all had a bath. Yes. Your memory is unbelievable. You know that? Sure. Yeah, sure. my memory's garbage. <laughs> but uh, yes, and so they hang out for a while and it's them talking about... So Kieran's character, the loser one, has <laughs> turned up <laughs> and he's stolen like 15 grand from his father. Oh my and so God. it becomes this thing of like, what are we going to do with this money that you stole? And it's a lot of... The first half of the show especially is us working out how this pair functions as friends. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of Jesse's cooler character making Kieran's character feel like shit. And it's just a lot of, like, beating him down, con- like, constantly. And, ugh, I don't know, in terms of the way that the, the cooler guy functions in the show, it's us really getting, a, like, slowly, um, but quite vividly coming to understand the, 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 the mindset of kind of a deluded narcissist who, oh, throughout the piece, is very much, like, just constantly pontificating about how he's the best at anything he tries. And, Oof. I'm the best one. I'm really good at this. I could do this if I wanted to, but I just haven't. Well, and, you know, and just being like... A raging temper, really bad with his girlfriend, um, being very, like, selfish and, you know, driven by this, I don't know, very, like, I don't know, traditionally, like, masculine, violent hunger that he has. Yeah, 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 it's it's a bit rough. Which is interesting with that being a theme and why it resonates with particular men. It's like... (laughs) Yeah, I was like, what what is it that draws people into this show? I think, based on the people that I've, like, based on things that I've heard from people that I've spoken to about this text, it's very much bandied about in, like, drama schools. It Uh seems like it's very much one of these things where people are drawing monologues from it, um, drawing scenes from it, because it's, like, young people shouting at each other. You know? Um, And especially, like, yeah, I feel like it makes absolute sense for it to really resonate with like guys in their early 20s that want to play like a mm. transporting esque like mm. drug fucked angry hot guy oh totally you know oh, god yes so that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. sense yeah so that's that and it's like it's very much the first half like up until interval yeah the two of them oh interval there was an interval oh my god yes huge um, yep yep I nodded at Sam <laughs> because our, our passion <laughs> lived on <laughs> Um, then I sat down and read my book and waited for the second half oh of the show. Oh my god, you and your book. Sorry. What were you reading? <laughs> I was reading Jen Kirkman's memoir. Who's Jen Kirkman? Jen Kirkman is a comedian and writer. Anything I have no? Anything uh, space? No, she was like one of the writers on Chelsea Lately, that Chelsea Handler talk show. No. 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 She was like one of the first women in Late Night. No. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Good conversation about Chelsea Handler. I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, I want to bring up the fact of like, uh, Bella Sattler. Mm. He was playing, like, the woman in the piece. <laughs> oh, yeah. When does she come in? She comes in towards the end of the first half of the show. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, like... The, 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 whole, the three of them, the cast, very, very lovely. And a very interesting, like, collection of people to have on stage. But I just want to bring up Bella because mm. there was so much going on with her performance. It was really beautiful. And I just couldn't stop watching her. Like, I was just oh. so, like, almost instantly just, like, obsessed. Like, she was making all of these, like small interesting decisions constantly she was like functioning so organically in the scenes that she was in it, it really felt like a woman that had stepped off the streets of new york and had come into this apartment and it was just like oh my god i couldn't what get a character was this woman i'd say 
Ah, oh, a number of adjectives. No, just a, like, like it's, a, it's a credit to the complexity because it's like, she's not just like one or two things. It was like, Bella's depiction of this character was like assertive and elegant, but patient, but also wasn't like, she was very willing to kind of engage in fiery discourse. Like she wasn't mm. afraid of speaking her mind and having quite decided ideals and ideas and... Um, but was also happy to listen to people and she also had a desire to be spontaneous but um, also didn't want to do anything stupid and she was also very anxious about people misunderstanding her and wanting to be kind of like sexually liberated but also not wanting to be misunderstood in that way that would make her feel or at least seem to others as being like someone that's easy or slutty but also not wanting to be like unwelcomely prudish like there was just and just the, the wow. way that, and the way that she would hold and she cigarettes. conveyed all of this. She conveyed all this, and the wow. way that she would hold cigarettes, and like the way that she would like sit <laughs> on a mast, like mattress, and the way that she would like reason so, with these men. It was just I. Just, and who was she in relation to the other two men? She was like a love interest of the loser friend. Oh yeah, but <laughs> but I'm not necessarily not saying that loser. that's the sort of noise that yeah oh sure Aww. losers yes underdogs are good but yeah, yeah. no but. Um, wow, she yeah. sounds incredible. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I think, yeah, mm. yeah. She's very much added to my gallery of people of like, my God, there's something really magical going on with this What are you going to do with this gallery one day? Uh, <laughs> well, as I just tend to do, is I just like try to see as much of their work as I can. <laughs> Tends to be what I do with the gallery. Cool answer. Are you suggesting I do something else? Do you think like a big back tattoo? A menagerie. A menagerie? Yeah. Do I have to kidnap these people? Yeah. And put them in a big cage together? Yeah. But James, that's true. <laughs> that's not my plan. But the idea of like being able to cobble together this ensemble and putting a show on with all of these people that are just like you've done things like that before. Oh, but it's the it's the type of artistic like capacity that is so exciting. I just want to get like yeah. millions of dollars and then just like find these people and put them in shows and stuff. Well, you just need the billions of dollars. That's that's the next step. That's, <laughs> that's what this podcast's all about. <laughs> billions of dollars. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but yeah, the, the the show itself again. I can understand why it resonates with particular people. It has a lot to say about male anger. But yeah, but yeah, I can see why the text itself appeals to young people, especially young men. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that way, it was it was engaging as as that type of almost like a cultural undertaking in terms of watching this play. Yeah, it's good now that you've seen it. You can better understand where you where you're lying in that bands of people. Yeah, I know more about Stelios, <laughs> and I know yeah, I know more about anyone else when they say, "I love This Is Our Youth" by Kenneth Lonergan. Um, one thing that comes up um during one of the conversations that Bella is like Bella's character is having with Kieran's, um, is about her. She her character has this assertion that um you have beliefs as like a young person. And then when you become an adult, you tend to find yourself having the exact opposite opinion. And it almost, Hmm. it can sometimes, with with that being a philosophy, it can kind of sometimes make you feel as though the person that you are is kind of a person that you'll be embarrassed by ever having been in the future. And it almost renders you kind of redundant as a, you know, a functioning person in modern society. Because if you, if you're just going to have values that then get Mm. completely upended and turned around, You've kind of rendered your like existence in a, in a in a democracy irrelevant by kind of becoming your own opposition. Oh God! Do what? you have any immediate reactions to that? Um, I definitely don't think that's true for me. In that your ideas don't change. No, my ideas change, but I, I wouldn't say they like become the. So far, at least, they haven't really become the opposite of what they were. I definitely look back at myself and think, "Yuck!" Okay. Like the embarrassment doesn't go away. I think that's just called growing up. I I just don't I don't believe that's necessarily true I don't think you just become the opposite of whatever you believe I think your beliefs grow and develop over time and Mm -hmm. may look different on the other side like is there an idea or like opinion that you have that springs to mind that you used to think quite differently about 
But, but, but do you? Do you? Have you got any of these? Because I can think. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess recently, I guess I've been grappling a lot, and I feel like I too often bring these conversations back to gayness. But I think, yeah, especially of late in the last like month or so, I've definitely been like grappling with my ideas surrounding, like. I don't know, like my sexual identity mm. and the, the, whether or not like even just like the label of gayness resonates in the right way with me, I guess, sure. is That's something. A big one. That's a big one. Especially the way that it corresponds with like the LGBTQIA plus community and and a two, of course, the way that that kind of like, I guess this is a whole separate thing too, but also like the way that I relate to my gender and the way that sort of gender doesn't resonate with me at all. Because mm. yeah, as someone that sort of like used to sort of identify for the last few months as like a non-binary person, I think at this point, like I much more resonate with the idea of being genderless and yeah. just not really believing that like no pronouns resonate with me. Like the idea of like... What about ugly? Uh, ugly? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> I relate <laughs> He's to crying. that. He's yeah. crying, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's, yeah. I suppose that's something. Well, I, I, I think that is exactly what was described. But there are so many beliefs that haven't. Like you know, sure. I believe that um, people shouldn't be locked up if they've done simple things. I believe that uh, people should all have money and people should all be safe. Like these are things that won't change for me. Sure. So I think sure. to say that is sort of just like I think that's just growing. Okay. And changing, and that's fine. Sure. Is what I think about that. Okay. What about you, Jack? Sure. That's fine. No, that's, yeah. that's a valid hypothesis. <laughs> People having early 20s philosophies. I don't know, it's just interesting. Then again, this is our youth. That phrase irks me. <laughs> Why? So, I don't know. There's something about this is our youth that the phrase irks me. Okay. I, I can't put my finger on what it is. It, it's perks of being a wallflower. It's, it's any wanky, like... This is our youth. I just imagine like it, Taylor Swift saying it. No, oh, like it feels me. like self-aggrandizing. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, and okay. that annoys me. Interesting. I'm sure the show is is good and fine. It resonates with a lot of people, and of course it should. <laughs> and I'm glad it does. Okay, but you think the title has some pomposity? The t- that name annoys me. This is our youth. It just makes me angry. But I I famously <laughs> hate a lot of things and a lot of people for no real good reason. Um, and so don't take that on board, anyone. Are you talking to Kenneth Lonigan right now? Uh, no, no. I'm talking to our listeners, Jake. Oh, that's that's good of you. Thank it you. is a podcast. Hey, James. Again. <laughs> Hello. I'm Hi. still here. I haven't left. I went to Essendon. You've been a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just... <laughs> The Essendon Theatre Company. Oh, you love the Essendon Theatre Company. What did you see by them recently? Oh, I went and saw that thing called We Wrote Some Plays. And it was like, right. a, like, a, like a short play festival that they yep. did. Yeah. Good memory. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't remember the show, but I remembered you went there. Yeah, and loved it. Yeah, that, because it's got that beautiful theatre, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember any qualities about the theater that I described? Not even slightly. No. I just remember that there was a theater that you loved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is you the see, one. This is the thing. My memory remembers shapes of things, but not what's inside them. <laughs> well, inside this one, it's truly one of my favorite theaters to go to, like in Victoria. Holy shit! It's so beautiful there because, as you'll remember, as I start describing it, it's the theater that you go to when you sit around tables. It's oh like, yes, you know, like you sit yeah, around yeah, like yeah. dining room tables and you watch plays happen. Yes, on this like wide, beautiful stage they have. That does sound amazing. Oh, yep. and just the energy of the whole place, like it's it's so like beautifully community feeling. Mm. Like it feels like community theater oh in like so God. many of the best ways. 
Just wonderful. Yeah, and the show itself is Neil Simon's The Odd Couple, but it's the female version. Okay. Which Neil Simon wrote about, I believe it's like one or two decades after the original Odd Couple came out. Oh, so it's like a very much a revised version. It's a full different play. Like, it's, it's like, the, the same sort of beats get hit, vaguely speaking. Okay. Um, but it's very much, like, it's not just, like, names changed. It's it's, <laughs> it's very much, like, a different play about women. Great, okay, li- Living cool. as women being womanly. Great, love In it. the multifaceted ways that one can. Maybe stop <laughs> talking about women like that, Jay. About, like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> just saying that women can be womanly. Yeah, no, 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 no. I reckon less of that. <laughs> Um, but yes, so do you know the odd nothing. couple? Nothing, I know a, nothing about it. Sure, because it was a short-lived Matthew Perry sitcom. I definitely have heard the phrase, the odd couple. Sure. What do I think of that? Yeah. Um, you're a well-read man, James. Thank you, thank you. both know that's not true. <laughs> the show itself was directed by Angelo Snell. Okay. Which was... He was Sorry, I was about to sound like that. He's so, so wonderful and talented. He, like, wrote and was in one of the short plays that I saw that I spoke to you about. Oh, yes. Um, and, yeah, and he's just great. And I was like, I don't know, I got to speak to him afterwards, which was super blissful. Mm. And, yeah, it was great to see a show that he directed. It was just exciting. That's maybe more of a private thing for me to no, say. No, it's, it's nice to see you so passionate about <laughs> work. Um, in the, in the, in the, like, the show notes and his director's notes for the piece, I'm just going to read quickly from the program that he says that... He is a huge fan of Neil Simon's work and has embraced the idea that he's spread across all his plays that we laugh so we don't have to cry. Oh. So the show starts and it's a bunch of gals sitting around <laughs> playing Trivial Pursuits together. Oh my god, cute. Love Super it cute. Love it already. Yeah. Um, and then their pal is like running late and they haven't seen her in a while and then she turns up and it's their friend Florence played by Emily Perello, and turns up and he, she's miserable and suicidal. Oh no! <laughs> yes, because... Florence! She, <laughs> Yeah, no, because she yeah has left her partner and is devastated by it. Yep. Um, and then yeah, comes in. Her friends all are trying to like stop her from killing herself, which she is to whatever extent is convincingly attempting to do in okay. the world of the play. Right. <laughs> and then, That's good friends. Yeah, is yeah. And then in an effort to kind of like keep her emotionally safe and not dead, her friend Olive, whose house we spend the show in, um, played by Taylor Sheel, um, Olive is like, stay with me until you fix your stupid life, and we'll just hang out and be friends until then. Cute. Um, but they, of course, the titular odd couple. They don't necessarily gel. <laughs> Are you oh, getting where the comedy comes from? <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. That's I, in my head, thought that meant it was like a mix, ma- mismatched couple that got along really well. Um, well, debatably, they begin that way. Um, but yeah, Florence coming in is uh, very, like, very efficient, very like into cleanliness and cooking lavish meals, and is yeah is quite pedantic about a lot of stuff. And is, I don't know, very, like, fixed in her ways and her values. Whereas, like, Olive is much more, like, relaxed and funky and messy and, like, you know, prefers takeaway food and uh, is a bit of a grub. Oh, I feel you, sister. (laughs) And so the play itself is kind of, like, them and their relationship kind of dissolving in this acidic environment of their dysfunction. Oh, great. Love it. Is the idea. Classic premise. With their friends. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. This play is a classic for that exact reason of it's almost like quintessential like character comedy. So when was the original written, would you say? It was like the late 60s. Yeah, yeah, right. From memory. Yeah. And then the female version was written in, I believe, the 80s. Sure, sure. And so, yeah, the the whole piece is like this production of it. A part of what really stuck out as something really wonderful was the way that 
and it's part of what Angelo and I talked about after the show was like that the, the whole production felt a lot like it was a, a real team effort. It mm. felt like there was so much like teamwork happening, um, and and that's the thing that really like bolstered the dynamism of the show. It's like it felt like everyone was really able to rely on each other to maintain the momentum and the function of everything that was happening, oh. which was a nice thing to have so tangibly present in a production. Oh, lovely. It was really nice. I want to point out that uh, so Alexandra Tricula playing Sylvie, I just found was one of the, she was just one of the pals that played Trivial Pursuit with them. And she was just quite magnificent because she reminded me of Sarah Paulson in Down, oh! with, in Down with Love. Have no. you seen... <laughs> <laughs> Had me for a second, but no. Oh, God. But yeah, no, Renee Zellweger plays an author and she writes a book about how women don't need men anymore. And Sarah Paulson plays her amazing friend. And maybe right. this is like too esoteric to be interesting, but I thought that Alexandra... <laughs> had a lot of the same charm as Sarah in that role. I mean, any to be likened to Sarah Paulson in any scenario, I think is a high compliment. <laughs> well, she's earned it. Yeah, and also I just want to point out as well, Rosalind Shafik Aid playing Vera, uh, tremendous comic timing and just such like a like a like a warm, generous comic force in mm. the in the ensemble too. Um, is a thing I wanted to say as well. Taylor, as Olive, the, the the messier of the pals, has this very lovely, like, I'd say almost like, like a Disney princess voice, but it was nice to hear it sort of like crumpled up inside of this New York accent. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was really lovely. Um, and it was nice to see her kind of like, like grumpily waft through so many of these scenes. Mm. It was... Yeah, I don't know. And and also, too, like, the intensity of Emily's Florence, like, the, the type A.E. grumpy suicidal one, it was, like, the way... Like, it was almost... It, it felt almost like some sort of recognisable cartoon that I just really couldn't place my finger on, but it kept going to that... The magpie teacher from Blinky Bill. <laughs> I don't know if that's a reference that anybody understands, but it was, like, there was there was something so recognisable mm. in a charactery way that I mm. thought was really impressive in her characterization because it was, like... It, it, it like never waned it was always so like efficient and pointed and sustained and it was like it was quite Zazu from Lion King oh a little yeah <laughs> who else is a stern but I guess not Iago he doesn't really read as stern does he he's more what like... do you mean <laughs> it's me Iago stern but I had to shout away from the microphone so I didn't that was generous to interrupt that was um, <laughs> um stern birds stern birds I don't know I'm trying to force myself to get through the live action Little Mermaid and I don't why? think why because it's a cultural moment <laughs> I watched a CGI breakdown on why the hair in that movie doesn't make sense why doesn't the hair make sense? It doesn't flow like hair would underwater. I noticed that a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it looks like... Um, but then they used the same CGI hair effect for, like, a horror movie called, I think, Mama. And it's like they use it on a ghost in regular air and it looks fucking creepy and it works because it defies the laws of physics because she's a ghost um yeah all that is to say <laughs> that i i do not think that emily Perello was channeling aquafina's scuttle <laughs> glad we got that out <laughs> great 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 um something that i was forced to interrogate um again as a gay man <laughs> oh, i know i know but i promise it's relevant no one cares um, <laughs> but it's also broader than that, especially in like the second half of the show. Something that I really liked about the second half, especially, was the amount of time and it wasn't excessive act. Second act, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, James. That's all right. Um, the amount of time that the two, because especially by this time, the two uh, like housemates have very much turned against each other. <laughs> oh, so they're, they're now the odd couple. They're, yeah, their okay. oddness has really gotten to them. Um, but I noticed this like excited like glee I was feeling any time that they would spend any time sort of like verbally tearing each other apart <laughs> and I guess there's just something like I think there's something a little bit like dark in the thing of quack quack, quack. dark in the desire that 
people have to watch women eviscerate each other. Ooh, okay. Have you seen the original male version? I've read it. I've never seen it. Okay, I wonder if you would feel the same way about male characters doing it. Do you think it was specifically That's the thing, was... no. I think, it's, a spe- like, I think yeah. it's just women, for me at least. And, I, and it makes me think, of course, of like, is Andy Cohen evil for the Real Housewives franchise that he is the king of? Well, my brain went straight to, what's that uh, show you like to watch with Whoopi Goldberg, The Morning Show? The View! The View! Yes. The View, because they often just like tear each other to shreds as well, don't they? Mm-hmm. Less so now that Meghan McCain has left. Oh, Megan. Devastatingly. God, right. I miss her every day. Don't care. But, um, <laughs> like, I, like it's, and it's the same sort of thing with, like, watching even, like, drag queens rip each other to shreds. Mm. Like, cause that's part of why I can't get into drag culture. It's too mean. It's very mean. And it is still, very mean. to me, reads as but also, strangely misogynistic. It's not, it, yeah, there is that. It's not mean, though. It's, like, it's reading, honey. It's, sure. It's, it's, like, part of the culture, but it does come across very mean. Sure. But, and, but, and so why oh do we, why God. do we idolise that? Because that's the exact same thing. It's but do you feel like you idolise it? Or do you feel yes. you idolise it? In drag queens, I think we're meant to idolise it. Idolise that, that culture. element of them. Yes. People that can read really well. Ugh. That's slay. For drag, for, I think this is, we've been sidetracked right now, but <laughs> in the drag community. I've never been distracted in my damn life. <laughs> <laughs> damn, so let's talk about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, in the drag community, I think it's it's, it's a lot more. Sorry, I'm thinking about beavers now, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, sorry. What? You know, they airdrop beavers that they have rehabilitated via a plane into the forest. Like, they put them in a box, strap a parachute into the box, and just drop them into the forest. Mm. So imagine being a beaver. Wait, to what end? To, like, rehabilitate them and get them back into the wild. Oh. Like if they're, or, or, like, if they're part of a breeding program, because beavers are, like, they're not as many as they should be. Uh-huh. So they drop them in via airplane. I think that's... Why do they have to do it like that? Because the, the forest is so dense that there's no real easy way to get them in there. Because you need to get them, like, into the middle of the forest where all the... The trees and the water is for their goddamn dams. For their goddamn dams. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, that was just a really funny fact. No, no, great. <laughs> Drag queens can be mean to each other because it's less being rude. It's more just like it's it's like the thing of like the jester. You know, the jester can mock the king because if the king mocks the jester back, everybody will know that the king thinks what they've said is true. Uh Uh-huh. It's the same with drag queens. You can be a drag queen and read someone to filth, Mm. but as long as you're okay with them reading you to filth and you don't arc up about it, everyone's fine. Okay. So it it all goes around and comes around, and it's sort of like this great equaliser. Sure. Uh, so you like watching women be mean to each other? <laughs> well, it was just the thing that I was, I was forced to interrogate because I was like, oh my god, yes. Like, rip her apart. Mm, this is totally. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it. I yeah. Get it. But that too was like, and th- this too is like, it's almost a, a little bit akin, I suppose, to, to the Q&A after the La Mama show. Mm. It was like part of the heaven of talking to Angelo after this production was getting to hear him talk about this desire he had. And it was very much a, a presence that, that was certainly on the stage and in the performances that I watched. The idea that he didn't want any of the characters to come across as being kind of like two-dimensional or like Mm. caricatures or even like built for mockery. Mm. And I think what seemed like it was like especially important to him with it being such like a a woman-led and woman-heavy story that was being told. He didn't want any of the characters to be able to be reduced down to like a bimbo or a doofus or like a, yeah. like a nag or, mm. you know, any of these kind of like what could be considered to be like damaging woman tropes. Yep, yep. And and it really did mean that we had like a group of characters that had complexity and had layers. And with a show that even like in its, like almost by its definition and reputation, people do boil down to 
oh, it's the slob and the nag. Yeah, yeah, and to to want to bring that level of complexity to to the quite large collection of characters that we had was a thing that was present and a really interesting goal to go into a production with. Yeah, wow. Uh, so, <laughs> as is the case too in like the man version, there are two people living in the building that the two protagonists want to be romantically entangled with to varying degrees. Of course. Of course. And so uh, we have the entrance of Manolo and Jesus, which are the two Spanish men that also live in the apartment building that they're oh in. Oh my God. And they're played by Michael Totorovich and Tom Pickering respectively. And uh, heaven, like, heaven! <laughs> I can't even explain. Like the play, the, the, the show. You're gonna itself, have to try. Oh my god! <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, the show itself was going so nicely, and you didn't even you didn't realize that you needed this new injection of like blood and voices. But it's like the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what? God, I want an injection of blood and voices. <laughs> but oh my god! But the entrance of these two, like it just it took on this whole new. It was just like another branch of the fun of this comedic drama. Oh. It was just really great. And it's just like the two of them playing off each other and the other actors they were in the scenes with. And just like, I, I want to especially just point out Michael Totorovich. I just thought that his, like his, everything from like his vocal quality through to his like physical presence on stage to his like comic sensibilities. Mm. Like I just thought he was such this like reliable beacon of just energetic comic charisma. Oh, fantastic. It was just, it was really exciting. And yeah. it was very much just like this, yeah, unexpected crashing wave of like, oh my god, <laughs> this play is so fun. <laughs> yes, there's nothing better than when you think a play is already perfect and then like more people enter. It was just just like, um, uh, oh, uh, everybody wants to be Emma. Uh-huh. Because um, the intro of that show was just like... Because that's the one where it's like all the different versions of her personality are in a beauty contest. Yes, exactly. Yes. And you just have to sort of untangle what each element of her is. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, the show just starts off with like, one of them walks in for a little bit and it's just them striking a... St- Dunning beautiful pose and then like gradually they all slowly walk on and you just just when you think there's enough and they're all perfect another one walks in it's just fantastic and i think that remind me reminded me of that a bit oh sure <laughs> that's all i had to say sorry that style of overwhelm has just got me thinking about wesley's production of rent <laughs> yes um a a kind of like a, a contention i guess that really like resonated with me and like i don't know saddened me and I don't know, has stuck with me seemingly, um, is the sense that, I don't know, the, the, the story in the play put forth this idea of part of what having close relationships is about and having friends is about is the way that those bonds teach you about yourself. Mm. And sometimes the, even like the end of a relationship or the thing that make a relationship harder to be inside of is the things that you're forced to confront about yourself. Um, was just like an interesting yeah. thing. For the, relate, for, the, for the play to be saying about yeah. intimacy. What do you think about that? Do you think that's true? I think so, yeah. I think, yeah, I've for, for like a time certainly explicitly thought that, I guess explicitly thinking is just saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, certainly like romantic relationships are kind of intended to foster a specific type of growth, I guess. Sure. Like the healthiest ones are supposed to turn you into... I don't know, I guess in essence a better version of yourself or a more evolved version and that that evolution can sometimes lead to a fork in the road or like like necessitates mm. a departure from that relationship. I think that's something that I've believed for a while now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, too, I think the, the best sort of friendships, yeah, are supposed to be educational and developmental. Has our relationship been educational and developmental? Yes. Oh, Jay. <laughs> you haven't changed me at all. <laughs> I'm exactly the same as when we met. Well, I guess you're Diamond and I am... Pooh. 
Um, I want to point out a moment towards the end that also, I don't know, stuck with me was Taylor on the phone as Olive talking to her kind of like ex-partner, ex-boyfriend that she still has quite strong, complicated feelings for. Mm. Um, and I won't go into the details of it because, I don't know, see the play at some point. I, I, I just, but yeah, watching, <laughs> just like watching Taylor's <laughs> performance of this, like her having spent the play playing Olive as this kind of like sweet little ragamuffin that things don't really affect very much mm. and watching her like on the phone have this conversation that does permit us to kind of see further into her than we've gotten to see throughout the play and the way that the, the way that this conversation goes mm. it was just like yeah it was like one of the more upsetting moments of the piece partly because of how laissez-faire we'd seen her be throughout the work yeah and there was something like it almost felt like i was like looking at my sister for a moment it oh. was just like there was something really like soft and honest about about just that moment of Taylor's performance that again is a thing that will like be in my mind for a little time to come. I guess there's a bee in your mind. There's a bee in my mind. <laughs> um, that's lovely. Sure. Oh my god. That's something. And I just want to point out one thing too. You've got to like... stop saying one thing. What? Because you keep saying you want to point out one thing, <laughs> but you want to point out multiple things, and that's fine. Well, here's another of the things that I wish to bring Beautiful. up. Beautiful. I think it's really neat when you see little stuff that's been, like, and these, like, little choices that have been, like, hidden in places where, like, these sorts of choices don't normally get made. Mm-hmm. And this is a choice related to the bows at the end of the show. <laughs> I just thought, so we spent the entire play in Olive's apartment, and after the whole cast comes on and bows... They all then leave out of her front door, but then she shuts the door and then goes like into her kitchen and sort of like leaves the stage going back into the apartment. And I just thought that was really cute because it felt kind of like the cast had just come over to her house to be part of this story and then go back to their own lives and she was going to stay in the apartment by herself. And that, that, that's just, just a nice, lovely choice, isn't it? I just, yeah, I thought so. And, yeah. I, and it's just like an uncommon place to find a choice like that. Yeah, any choice. Any choice, exactly. Yeah. I just thought that was just, and two, to, to, yeah, sort of like linger on the end of the play as well. I thought it was one of those like sweet instances where it's like part of what the play is about is about like woman friendships and mm. groups of women being friends. And that, I always think there's something really lovely and it's kind of like a testament to effective storytelling where it's like, we have this same group of women from the start of the play playing Trivial Pursuit together and sitting together, but a lot of them have gone through like a style of change throughout the work. And a few of them, even in the final scene, have brought in like a new thing that's going on in their lives. Mm. Like something else has just changed and like a new piece of news has just been delivered. But we've learned enough about this group of women to be able to kind of like speculate and extrapolate and see where these stories will head and how they will support each other and whether or not they will going forward. And I think that's just like a testament to, yeah, a good story about people about whom you've learned enough to be able to do that type of guessing. Oh my God. And yeah, that's always just a nice feeling, I think, um, as an audience member. The odd couple. Not so odd at all, in fact. I don't know if that is the lesson at all of the work. And I don't we know. all lived happily ever after. I'd say that's certainly also not the message all of the work. All for one. One for all. Wow. Yeah. Here we go. We did it. We did. Can't believe it. No. Um, what are you up to for the rest of your week, Jake? <laughs> what genuine interest you yeah. seem to have. Come on, let's tick these uh, boxes. Going to the Midsummer launch. 
Oh, you? yeah, we're going to the Pizza Launch. Yeah, that's exciting. That's very exciting. We hope to see you there. Sweet, sweet listener. Sweet, sweet listener, my um, sweet angel. Yeah, hopefully you'll be there. Yeah. yeah. If you're invited, it's a very hot ticket. It's a very <laughs> exclusive event. Yeah, uh, it should be on. quite nice. We'll let Love you know what it's like on the other side. I hope there are canapes. I hope Ruben K does a show. Oh, God. What else should we hope for? What's uh, a launch wish? Canapes, <laughs> Ruben K, mm-hmm. uh, photo opportunity. For whom? Us. In front of some sort of wall. I imagine you understand that. Well, good. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, sure. Like a red carpet situation. Yeah, God, yes. God, okay, yes. sure. Sure. Um, I'll be okay. going from work, so I'll need to bring something fancy. Fancy? To work. To, oh, like a tuxedo? Yeah, obviously. With a big, like, clowny flower for your lapel? Yeah, and I'm like, look into the flower, and then I just punch them in the face. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then squirt water on them when they're down. Is that from the flower, or is that... From the flower. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, Midsummer? It's coming. It's coming. It's really close. It is. Look out, everyone. <laughs> you can't stop it, no matter how hard you try. No, and if you're going to try, it's coming soon. So. If you're going to try harder. If you've got to airdrop beavers onto it, <laughs> got to round up those beavers. <laughs> That's a little throwback for anyone who listened to that segment. Um, I guess we should probably just say uh, that we may already disagree with some of the things that we've said on this podcast. Uh-huh. We're human beings and our opinions change and evolve and shape us as as time goes by. As we've discussed on this very episode. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, and friends don't let friends become theatre critics. God, no. 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 no.